Hello, and welcome to the LB School and Library podcast. I'm Christy Michelle, the School and Library Coordinator here at Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and today I'm joined by Mary Crockett, author of How She Died, How I Live, which is on bookshelves now. How She Died, How I Live received a starred review from School Library Journal. They called it an outstanding debut and raised Mary Crockett delves deep into the heart of grief and pain through her narrator who is witty and vulnerable, making this a quick but heart-rending read. Booklist said its characters will stick with readers long after the book is closed. And I say that it's a book for anyone who wants to think about the violence young women face and how they can navigate it, work against it, and maybe even work towards putting an end to it. And I'm pretty sure that's everybody. Mary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Christy. All right, so we're going to jump right in, and I wanted to start off by asking you to introduce the book to our listeners. So How She Died, How I Lived is a book that raises a lot of questions about violence against young women in our culture today. It looks at um, the main character was contacted by a man, um, a young man she knew as an acquaintance to kind of hang out and just, you know, spend some time together. She almost responds, but she doesn't. And... He, meanwhile, has reached out to other young women. One of the women who does respond goes and hangs out with him, and he murders, rapes and murders her in, a, in the most brutal way. So the narrator really knows that she had been targeted for murder. His plan was to reach out to a number of young women, and whoever responded was going to be the, the unfortunate one, in his words, the unfortunate one, who would be killed. So it's a young woman who's looking at the idea that she has survived this horrible tragedy. She wasn't, you know, necessarily traumatized in a physical way, but psychologically it has endured a lot of trauma. And it's really a story about how she approaches that and how she looks at her life afterwards with, with the knowledge that, you know, she had been targeted for murder. All right. Thank you so much. It's such a great way of positioning the book for for our readers. And it's such a, like I was saying a little bit earlier, it's such a tough book to get into. It's hard to put into just a few words what it's about. I wanted to ask you a few personal questions so that we could get to know you as a writer and as a thinker. My first one is, how did you come into writing? Have you always been a writer? Did you write when you were younger? Or is it something that you came into later in life? I have always loved language. I have always played with writing. As soon as I think I knew how to write, I was writing stories or poems. I remember very vividly when I was eight years old writing this epic poem that went on for pages, I think three or four pages, and I wasn't finished yet. I don't think I ever finished this poem. But, and it was in the heroic couplets, which are these little rhymed um, two-line stanzas. And it was about a young girl named Amy who was working with a number of ants <laughs> to to stop some kind of nuclear disaster. You know, there was <laughs> she was going to solve the world's problems working with the ants of the world. So, I mean, I you know, in a way, poetry has, is sort of my native language. It's it's what I feel comfortable um, with. It's kind of how I think. I can definitely I went see on that. To get a Master of Fine Arts at UVA in poetry and to publish a number of books in poetry long before I ever started really writing fiction. So it's kind of where I started, and I think it's probably my most natural place as a writer. I can definitely see your love of poetry in How She Died, How I Live, because some of the characters write poetry. Charlie writes poetry, and Jared 
writes song lyrics, which are kind of like poetry. <laughs> right. That's so cool. Um, so it was so much fun to write poetry as a teenage boy. <laughs> that was a new experience for me. And I was not, you know, I wasn't writing the poem I would write. I was trying to write as Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, that was a lot of fun. And actually, Jared's song lyrics, I have to give a shout out to Madeline Rosenberg, who is a friend of mine and a fellow writer. And I think that's the only part of this book that I didn't write. (laughs) I I had called her and I was like, oh, Madeline, I've got to write these song lyrics for, you know, and I just, I can't get started. She's a musician as well as a writer, um, a wonderful uh, children's lit writer. And I've actually co-authored a book with her previously. So I was, I was bemoaning having to write these lyrics and and she she said well I'll I'll do them and like within like a couple hours she had sent Jared's lyrics and I was like you can actually publish this as a song so I'm giving a shout out to her (laughs) but but all of Charlie's poetry I I, you know I wrote and um and all of his free rights and things like that I thought it was kind of a fun way to kind of enter into something I love so much in this book. I also wanted to ask you how do you think writing and reading are different from other art forms? Because I feel like writing and reading are such um, internal things, and I wanted to see what you thought about how they're different from other things that people could do, like playing music. Then. Right. A lot of other art brings other people in, you know, theater or music or, you know, dance. It's something that you do with these other people kind of present at the same time mm-hmm. and reading and writing are such solitary activities that I think they're distinct in that way. And in some ways it's, it's a wonderful gift because when you're doing something live and you mess up, well, too bad. <laughs> you got to keep going. <laughs> you know, With writing, you can be like, Oh, I messed up. Let me go back and revise it. Let me kind of get it to where I want it to be. Um, and I, I guess my, my sense of reading, um, I kind of go with the reader response theory of reader reading that really the the reader is creating the story as much as the writer as they imagine it and as they kind of connect with it and make it their own. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because you're alone a lot of the times when you're doing it, not always, but usually you're alone when you write, you're alone when you read kind of in your own mind space. So there's this very personal one-on-one connection you can make that I think is tremendous and very special. I absolutely agree with you about the power of a reader and helping to create a story that they're reading. I think that's brilliant. I also wanted to ask you, what do you think YA Lit has to offer to young readers? And are there any books you read as a teenager that helped shape you as a reader and writer? Books that you consider to be formative for who you are? Well, I think YA Lit can offer so much because there is so much going on between the ages of 12 and 19, you know, in those teen years. Um, a lot happens. A lot happens as far as questions of identity. People are really deciding, you know, who am I? And who do I want to be? And what matters to me? And all these big, important questions. And reading young adult literature, I think, can help maybe not give clear answers like, oh, you are, you know, your cat has ever been, no, not quite that, but, but it's important for me to make sacrifices for the people I love, like cat has ever, ever been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, you can kind of decide, you can kind of 
see the person you want to be in these characters, and it helps you figure out who you want to be in your own life. And I think that's so important. And it's a way of, I think, teenagers who are reading to bounce ideas around, you know, and kind of try things out and think things through and figure out what matters to them. And I'm so um, honored to be part of that for some young people who are reading today. That's the best. Are there any books you read as, as a young woman that helped you become the woman you are today? You know, they did. I was reading a lot of odd stuff when I was a teenager. I mean, and a lot of um, poets and, uh, you know, I mean, I was, again, I was mainly focused on poetry, so I was reading a lot of um, poets who were doing odd things, Wallace Stevens, and um, I loved E. Cummings, I still do, you know, <laughs> and uh, looking at some of those writers as a young writer myself was extremely important to me. And then also reading books like Pride and Prejudice. I mean, that's such a great, great book because it shows this, this heroine who, I mean, Elizabeth Bennett doesn't always know, you know, she doesn't always have the right answer, right? But she's trying to be a good person in the world. And that's exactly how I felt when I was, you know, kind of starting off as like trying to be a person. I was like, not always reading people right, not always having the right answers, but, but just kind of wanting to do good. And I think that's kind of, you know, so I was able to kind of connect with Pride and Prejudice in that way, Jane Eyre, and, you know, all the all those wonderful um, old novels I, I read a lot of as a young person and really enjoyed. I feel the same way about Jane Austen. I could go on about her forever. My favorite Austen book is Northanger Abbey, and it's for that exact reason. It's because Catherine is just this young girl she doesn't really know what she's doing. She's just stumbling around the world, and then she kind of discovers herself. So, tell her that about her. Yeah, she is a great character. She's so, you know, she's so willing to go there with her imagination, and I love that about her. She's so willing to, you know, and again, she she doesn't always get it right. You know, she she thinks she's seeing things that that aren't happening, but but she's she's delightful. I love her. Yeah. I'd have to say my very favorite is Anne Elliot. If we're gonna talk Austin, yes, <laughs> I love in Persuasion. I just love the way she is just consistently like, you know, it's like she is going to consistently kind of persevere and try to find the good in her life. And in a lot of ways, that's what happens. And uh, you can probably see that in How She Died, How I Lived. I mean, the, the main character is really that's her quest is trying to find the good in life. Yes. and that's kind of what Anne Elliot's. You know, when we see her at the beginning, she's she's trying to figure that out for herself. And it's very hard because her life is a, a big can of suck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So getting back to how she got high, like, how how did it come to you? How did the how did the story come to you? And also, how did it change over the course of your writing? It? So I was originally um, writing something else on a different novel, which I hope to get back to, <laughs> when when there were um, a number of young women in my own community here in southwestern Virginia, uh, there were a number of women who were who had been targeted for murder, who were missing for a while, and then found to be dead. And there was one particular case where it just really hit me very hard, and I was I was stunned by the idea that this young woman was killed by what was what was a person who was identified as her friend, you know? And yet 
she wasn't targeted specifically for murder the way you might see in a case of domestic abuse. She was just targeted in this kind of random way. You know, whoever showed up was going to get killed kind of thing. And it just struck me to my core, honestly. I was very upset and angry and just sickened by the very idea of it, that this beautiful young woman had died in, in this horrendous way. And I started writing out of really just anger and outrage and hurt and grief. And, you know, and I'm here I am. I didn't know the young woman. It wasn't a personal hurt, but I felt hurt, even though I was so disconnected, you know, in every kind of logistical way from the situation. And I think violence does that. It, it, when violence occurs, it doesn't just hurt the people who are directly impacted. Of course it does. I mean, of course, that is the the major, you know, grief occurs there. And I, I feel very deeply for those people who have gone through that. But I think also there's, it's almost like there's a cloud of hurt that spreads out from a, from a violent act. And I think it affects a lot more than just the people directly impacted. I think it in, in some ways sickens the entire community. Was it difficult to write a fictional story about violence against women? And how were you able to approach such a such a thorny subject? Well, I I did a good bit of research. I looked into cases and looked at, at what happened afterwards. And you know, I I went to the courthouse and I got actual recordings of court cases and watched hour upon hour upon hour of testimony in these kinds of cases. I read a whole lot about um, forgiveness. I was always amazed at the ability um, in these, these stories I read about people who had loved ones who were victims of very violent acts, and yet they were able to somehow find forgiveness, which to me seems like an impossible thought. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm in, I, I really honor and respect that in someone. I don't know how necessarily get there. In some ways, doing the research helped me understand better how these people were approaching forgiveness. So I did, I did a lot of different kinds of research looking into how violence affects communities in very personal ways. What you just said there about forgiveness and how difficult it was for you to um, to completely understand how people who've gone through something so horrendous can have the ability to forgive the people who've done this to them makes me want to jump ahead and ask you another question about your narrator and about Charlie because they have two totally different approaches to forgiveness. Like their approaches to forgiveness couldn't be more different. So. Which character did you identify with the most in terms of forgiveness? Was it the narrator or you know, was it Charlie? I really, honestly, I see both of those points of view. I see, I, I think it's in me to say, no, you cannot forgive this kind of violence. You can, it, it's not okay. And you, there's nothing that this person can do that will result in forgiveness in my heart. You know, I mean, I, I think I have that in me. So I have that. And I also, I, I think I respect the person who, who can somehow find it, find forgiveness 
in those situations. And, you know, I am very thankful that I personally have not had to lose someone I love to an act of violence. And I don't know where I would, where I would stand. You know, I've thought about it a lot, obviously, because of, you know, everything that's in this book. I've thought about it. I've wondered about it. But I don't think I necessarily would know. Um, but I, really, honestly, I can respect both of those points of view. And I can understand why Charlie feels the way he does. And I can understand why the narrator feels the way she does. And needs to do what she needs to do to kind of move on. And I, I think people can coexist and still have a relationship when they don't necessarily agree on some points. And I think that's an important thing to kind of recognize, too, in their relationship. I'm going to ask you a question that's kind of jumping off of what I asked you earlier about why literature and what it can do. I want to ask you about tough stories, difficult stories. And do you think difficult literature is necessary, especially in the, in the YA genre? Because a lot of people approach fiction as though it's entertainment, and it can be entertainment. Uh, a lot of people approach it as though it's an escape, and it absolutely can be escape. But do you think it can speak to the real world? speak to the complications and, I guess, the violence of the real world, and do you think that's necessary? I absolutely think there is a place for literature that con confronts difficult issues. I mean, I don't think that's the only thing literature should be doing. I think it's great to have books that are an escape, and I read books that are an escape, and I love them, <laughs> you know? And I read books that are that really challenge me to think differently about something, and I love them. And I read books that, you know, are somewhere in between, you know, have maybe a, a, a kind of a fantasy element, but at the same time are very challenging. So I think there's uh, one of the wonderful things about book lovers and readers is most of the people I've met are open to both kinds of books. You know, there's room on the shelf. The shelf just kind of keeps growing, especially when you have your Kindle. You can put as many books as you want to on it, right? You can kind of fill, fill that shelf with different things. And I think there's a place for both of those things. I think it is important that there are books that, that look at issues that young people really are facing today, things that they are thinking about, because again, it helps, I, I think it helps a reader think things through when they read a situation that they can imagine and empathize with a character that's going through a situation and they can kind of maybe be more prepared for whatever's coming in their own lives. I think literature kind of helps us see our lives and it helps us, you know, know how to live better. And I think that's the best thing. And it can do that through lighthearted books and through books that are a little bit more serious. Absolutely. Um, so we've been talking about the book and We've been saying the narrator, our narrator, your narrator. So I wanted to ask you why she's unnamed. The reason we've been doing that is because she's an unnamed narrator. I wanted to ask you why she's unnamed and how you were able to have such a strong voice without a name attached to it. Like nobody calls her name, not her parents, not her friends. It isn't written in a text. It isn't written in an email. She's just this voice that comes into your head. And, and just lives there for the duration of the book. And I thought it was brilliant because 
there are these two other names in the book that kind of loom over it. There's the name of the killer, Kyle, and the name of the young woman who kills, Jamie. And those names are just there. They're always with you. Just like the voice of the narrator is always with you. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I did choose not to give her a name in the book because I wanted readers to kind of hear that voice and identify with it in a way that this voice becomes kind of an every girl, because honestly, this is a story that can happen to every girl. And that's a very sad thing. I'm not trying to be alarmist, but I live in the world and I read the newspapers and this is something that can happen to anyone. It's nothing they do. It's not a certain kind of person that this happens to, or, or if you do this, then you're safe. And if you do that, you're not. This is something that can touch anyone's lives. And I, I wanted to create that kind of every girl sense by having her own name. That said, she does have a name. Her name is Kara. Oh. So I, you know, I always knew her name. I knew who she was, but. I didn't want to put it in the book. So you had, did you have her name at the beginning of writing or did it, did it come to you afterwards? I think when I wrote the very first pages, I didn't, but very soon I knew who she was. Yes. That's so interesting. I mean, it's, of course, you know her better than we, the readers know her, but I think it's so interesting that you have her name in your mind as you were writing and we, we just don't know her name. So now I want to delve a little bit deeper into the book. The first thing that struck me about the narrator and her voice is that she isn't she isn't immediately likable, right? She does things, right. yeah, she does things that anger her best friend Lindsay, and she also does things that not exactly anger, but she does things she isn't acquiescent, right? She doesn't just do whatever people want her to do. She has this boy who she's in love with, Charlie, and she doesn't just always go along with what Charlie wants or what Charlie thinks. And I love that about her. I love how difficult she was. And I wanted to ask you about difficult heroines, about the place they play in your fiction, the place or the role they play in your fiction, and just what you think about difficult heroines. I guess when I look at people, I love people, and people are not perfect. <laughs> I certainly am not perfect. And I think when you look at a young woman who has passed, who, is, who has died, I think there's a tendency to call her, you know, kind of perfect. She was an angel. She was perfect. Because she's in some ways frozen in time. She's frozen under glass. But part of living, part of keeping going, is screwing up and not being perfect and not being the person you want to be and saying the wrong things and feeling what you feel, even if it's ugly. And I, I wanted to get into that with this narrator. And, and especially when you see her at the very first chapter, before all these bad things happen to her, she's, she's kind of superficial. She's living kind of the surface life in that preface section. <laughs> And then you see her a year later after she's been through what we find is a, you know, a kind of a year of hell where she's kind of gone into heavy drinking and, and misbehavior of every sort. And when we see her at the beginning of the book, she's trying to find her way out of that. But she's not out of it. You know, she's still not the person she wants to be. And even at the very end of the book, she's not 
you know, she's not perfect. She's 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 prickly and she's <laughs> difficult. She's still the same Kara that she has always been. But she's also very, to me, very lovable in that she really cares about people and she really wants to try to find the good in life, you know, and it's not always easy. It's a journey. But really that friendship between the narrator and Lindsay, to me, that's the heart of the book. Um, that's when you think about why um, the narrator, Kara, heals, it's because she finds friendship with Lindsay and it's because she finds friendship with Charlie and Jared and that they're able to support one another. And it helps her see what the value of life is and the value of kind of keeping going. It's, it's those human relationships. And so while she's not likable, she is quite human. <laughs> and I like her. I love her, you know, I mean, but, but I totally get what you're saying. She, she's, she's a little prickly and, and Lindsay too. I mean, you know, Lindsay's, uh, I, I adore Lindsay, but she's, she's kind of outrageous and out there in a lot of ways that maybe makes me in real life might make me uncomfortable, but, but I kind of love her for it too. What you just said about the narrator, Kira, now I know her name, what you said about Kira being lovable and it just made me think about the journey she goes through because I remember there's this one moment in the book that's kind of crystallized in my head where she's speaking to Charlie. It's towards the end of the book. And she doesn't even want to say that word about herself. She she hesitates about saying whether or not she's lovable. So there's like this journey throughout how she died, how I live, about Kira believing that she's lovable and believing that she deserves love. And I thought it was a really great contrast to how everybody was talking about Jamie and how lovable Jamie was. Yeah, she she ha she has trouble getting to that place, yeah. but I think she kind of sees it by the end. And mm -hmm. I think that's so important. I you know I teach people who are in college mm -hmm. uh, creative writing. I teach creative writing at Rona College, and you know a lot of the people I work with are are young people just out of high school, <laughs> and. I can see in them, you know, I, I, I wish I had this this shiny package I could hand to them and say, you are worthy of love, you know, and it, and it would like make them believe that and see that for themselves. Because I see that as an issue in a lot of young people, kind of recognizing that they have it in them to be loved, that they, who they are at core is worthy of love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of, obviously I'm, I'm teaching creative writing so we talk about a lot of touchy-feely things so I can I maybe I see more of that than maybe other professors might but I I always think gosh if I could just give you you know a shiny package that would convince you you know this gift to convince you but it's really something somebody has to kind of come to on their own they have to kind of figure it out for themselves and when you do figure that out in life you're capable of so much more you know, it's like you can kind of be like, okay, I have that. Now I can go do the things I want to do, and I can go be the person I want to be because I don't have to worry about, can I, am I worthy of love? And let me tell you, for the young people who are listening, <laughs> you are worthy of love. Full stop. That's you are such a great message. I really liked the reciprocation that we saw in the book between Kira and Lindsay. At the beginning of the book, Kira, our narrator, tells us how Lindsay's kind of the mom friend, and she takes care of her and all the other girls who were targeted by Kyle. And then 
as the story continues and towards the end of the book, we see Kira, the narrator, doing the same for Lindsay. Lindsay is kind of the one who's who's drinking too much and doing things that are hurtful to herself. And it's our narrator who opens up. She kind of blossoms. She blooms. She opens up and she offers that care and comfort to Lindsay. And I thought that was such such a brilliant thing to see. Part of the reason that happens is I have noticed that after something traumatic occurs, and something traumatic occurred in both of their lives, right, mm-hmm. with the death of Jamie, for both Kara and for Lindsay, that was trauma. But people respond differently. Sometimes you hold yourself together where when everybody else is falling apart, and then as everybody else is trying to kind of get themselves together, you fall apart, you know. it it It's not like there's some easy kind of timeline that grief goes on, you know. You, you kind of deal with grief differently depending on your situation. So I know in my own life, I have, it's like at the moment I'm supposed to break down, I don't. I can have, I'm just like, oh, I'm okay. I'm going to hold it together for everyone. And then at the moment when every, I, sh- I should have it together by now, that's when I break, you know, and that's when I fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that with Lindsay. She was kind of holding everybody together through the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And then as, as Kara is starting to kind of find that healing, Lindsay, Lindsay has, it's like she expresses it at that point. She expresses that kind of emotional overload at that point. And I think that's just how people function, that they they don't necessarily go through the easy stages altogether of, of responding to whatever trauma it is they, they, they've encountered. I think it hits people differently. In the book, our narrator is confronted with men's desires and the violence that can come with it, the violence that can that she can randomly be subjected to just because she's a woman, just because she's a young woman. And she has to navigate it. She has to navigate men who are attracted to her and how they express that attraction. She has to navigate her own attraction to, to a boy, to Charlie, and she has to navigate how to let how to let someone down without hurting them, but also without angering them. Because, and this is a conversation I think we've only just started having in public, but how to let a man down without angering him and without, you know, is he going to hurt me because I am not into him the way he's into me? That's a question that our narrator has to deal with. But in the book, there are also these boys that she becomes friends with. And one of the boys is a boy who, who was into her, Jared. And she becomes friends with them. And they they give her a kind of support. And they also help her to grow. So I wanted to ask you, was it important for you to have contrast to Kyle, the murderer in the book? Was it important for you to, for the narrator to have boys that she could be friends with, boys she could speak to, boys she could like, boys she could be friends with. It was very important to me, yes. I think if we're going to confront sexual violence in our culture, boys are going to have to take a role in that too. And I think when there are situations where sexual violence 
or just violence against women is kind of where, where we're on the edge of that, you know, in a, in a particular situation and, and it's veering that way. I think it's the responsibility of everyone to try to stop that, to try to take a stand against that. And I think we see that in, in characters like Jared and Charlie. And Jared's not perfect, just like like Kara is not and Lindsay is not. Charlie isn't. Nobody, you know, nobody's perfect. Jared certainly isn't. And a lot of what he does could be read as itself sexual harassment. You know, he's looking at her butt at certain times. He, you know, he kind of invades her space a little bit. He doesn't really know how to, you know, what what's okay and what's not. And the narrator, Kara, doesn't really... You know, she doesn't, she recognizes, I think, that he's just a young boy who doesn't quite understand how to try to, you know, let his feelings be known, right? He doesn't quite know how to how to, to do that. And I think she gets that that's different in kind than a lot of the, the situations she finds herself in um, where there are strangers and other people who are making her feel very uncomfortable in ways that she, she really does worry that it could tend towards violence. Because, you know, again, you can't open a newspaper without hearing a story about a woman who is murdered because she rejects someone in some way. A man. She rejects a man as far as, you know, she tries to leave him if they're in a relationship or she won't go out with them, and so she ends up being stabbed or something like that. So, you know, that is a, it's not something I'm making up in some kind of dystopian way. That's something that is real in, in our culture. And again, I think if, if we're going to try to take that inch move this year or next year or the year after towards a better place for, for women, it's going to take everyone to do that. Just to piggyback off of that. I really love Charlie. I love all the characters in the book, but I really love Charlie. And one of the things I really admired was that he was able to be angry, or he was an angry man, but it never turned into a threatening kind of violence for Kira, for our narrator. And I thought it was brilliant that you were able to show that anger can exist without that violence. Yeah, he he's a he's an interesting guy to me too because he does he has a lot of rage in him and rightfully so. You know, his his girlfriend Jamie was murdered in a horrible way and he feels a lot of I guess manly rage and just <laughs> general rage at at that. But at the same time, he is at heart, you know, he's more of a poet. He's more of a a lover, you know, and he's not there's never a sense that Charlie's going to go off and hurt somebody. Yeah. He, despite his, his anger, his rightful anger. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I wanted to ask you about Charlie and the, our narrator's relationship. As a writer, how were you able to balance, how were you able to maintain the balance between exploring that violence that Jamie suffers and the romance between Charlie, Jamie's boyfriend, and our narrative. Well, okay, so originally, <laughs> when I kind of thought about the novel, and I don't exactly plan it out like, you know, plot points or whatever, but I have an idea of where what I want to happen and where I'm heading. And originally, there was not going to be a romance 
necessarily between Kara and Charlie. But when I did research and I looked into situations of young women who had been violently murdered, and I looked at their um, boyfriends who were not guilty of the, the murder, but just boyfriends uh, who had girlfriends who were violently murdered. One thing that amazed me, and again gave me hope, <laughs> was the way these young men were able to enter into other relationships in positive ways. And I was, you know, I was not expecting to find that, but that is what I found when I did this research. And and the way they talked about the the woman they loved who had died, and the woman they loved who they were with, and how they were kind of open about that was really beautiful to me. Um, and I thought, you know, young men don't stop having sexual desire. They don't, even though, you know, it's mixed with maybe some sense of guilt for the woman they loved who they couldn't, you know, stop the murder of for whatever reason, you know, usually because they had nothing to do with, you know what I mean? It's not like they should have been able to, but mm-hmm. but I'm sure they, they feel that, right? They think that. And, I mean, in some ways, uh, physical relationship, is it's a celebration of being alive. So it's part of what the narrator is, you know, figuring out, that she is worthy of love, but she's also worthy of having a physical relationship with someone. But all that aside, I really think, as far as the book, the important thing to Kara is her friendship with Charlie. I mean, she loves having this more than friendship. That's that's awesome. You know, she, she really is attracted to him, and she finds him wonderful and wants to be with him. But what really makes a difference to her is that under all that physical kind of connection they share, there's a sense of someone I can trust, someone I can rely on, someone who wants the best for me. And that's a friend, you know, at heart, that is a friend. It's the same thing that Lindsay gives her, somebody she can trust and somebody she can rely on and somebody who has, who wants the best for her. And so, you know, it was a little difficult to kind of try to talk about that situation in a book that is overshadowed by this gruesome murder, you know? Mm-hmm. or kind of clouded by this gruesome murder. But it is when I did the research, it's a reality I found and it's it's something I found fascinating. Um so yeah, it is a little bit of a difficult situation and I know um, you know, I'm sure there are readers who are kind of like, What? What's going on? But when I again, when I was looking at these cases, what I found were young men who were able to kind of go forward with relationships at the same time as honoring the person they loved and lost. I I think that speaks to the title of the book and also the, the main theme of the book, which is this beautiful girl, beautiful in the sense that she was a wonderful person, girl, Jamie, was murdered. She had her life taken away from her. But the narrator still has to live, right? She can't She can't stop living. She has to continue living. So I really like that. So speaking a little bit more about Charlie and the narrator, I really appreciated that the book is as much about being a survivor as it is about being in a relationship with a survivor, because both Kira and Charlie are survivors of this. Um, And it's also about being with someone who's grieving. Both Kira and Charlie are grieving. So as the narrator is wrestling with her own fear and anger and guilt, she's also witness to Charlie's grief. 
she's also a witness to Lindsay's grief. Could you speak about that, about why you didn't leave her in isolation, and about the emotional work she puts in for both Lindsay and Charlie, even when she's dealing with so much of her own stuff? I, I think I think if she were in isolation, she might be the same person you saw at the beginning, you know, by the end. I think what, when you think about the character arc and where she has to, to go emotionally, I don't know that that's a journey you can make alone. I think that is a journey that, it's like, the, the, the quality that is healing, that does the healing, does the work of the healing, is friendship. I think her human relationships ultimately provide an answer for her as far as how to go on living. So I think she had to kind of work through that with other people. Now, she could have worked through that with people who were not also going through it, <laughs> but because of the nature of this particular um, crime, this particular situation in the book, that there were a number of girls who were targeted, that there was a boyfriend left behind, that it, it just seemed natural to me that those people would gravitate towards each other because they understood each other in a way, you know, maybe others couldn't. And there are uh, the friends that Kara had before, you know, the incident, who she she doesn't necessarily have any animosity for, but she just, she no longer could connect with in the same way. And she, you know, she, by the time the book begins, a year after the murder, she's kind of lost those friends. She's burnt those ridges, and she is very alone. So I think to find her way towards healing, there had to be that connection with other people, and that that is not something... I guess in my worldview, that happens in isolation. I love seeing how at the very beginning in that preface, it's just Kira by herself, right? She It's summer vacation, none of her friends are around, the guy she's crushing on isn't really around, and then we get that year jump, and then we see her circle, her community just widen and widen and widen. First it's Lindsay, then it's Charlie, then it's Jared, then it's... Kyle's grandmother who comes up to her and then at the very end it's her and Jamie's mother and it's she's she's the one who goes out and reaches out to Jamie's mother and I just I thought that was wonderful I loved it a lot yeah she she is very alone at that first um that very first time you see her and she's very she's kind of bored and petulant <laughs> not you know not necessarily somebody I would want to spend time with necessarily but by the end I'm like oh I want to be on the pier with them I want to be jumping in the water with them and it's really because she has changed because of friendship, you know, and, you know, the pool at the beginning is all sterile, and, you know, it's, it's a pool, it's a little community pool, and here she is out in the water, out in the lake, you know, kind of, there's just a much more kind of rich sense of the world, I think, by the end of the book, with that, that water. There's more life in it. The pool water, you know, at the, at, the, at the cap of the book. Yeah. At one point in the book, our narrator, Kira, asks, what the hell am I going to do about it? And she's asking, what is she going to do about this horrible situation that she finds herself in, about all the violence that is around her without her having anything to do with it. It's just violence that comes to her just because she's a woman. I want to ask you, what do you think we as readers and as critical thinkers living in the world can do about it? Um, one thing I think that's important is to talk about it. And that's 
part of what I'm hoping this book will do is that it'll get people thinking about that kind of violence and being aware of it and talking about it. I think a lot of times that's kind of a, uh, an early step towards change. Um, you know, I don't have the answer. Again, I should be, you know, I should be in at, in Washington D.C. right running the country. If I if I had these answers, I I could do that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure it out too, just as a as a human being. You know, what do we do about this? And I I certainly think that there's not that it's important that we don't suggest. Uh, there's something you, you as an individual young woman can do that will keep you safe or that will, I mean, there's certainly things, decisions you can make that will maybe tend to be safer than other decisions and being aware of what those decisions are, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, that's not to say the victim of, of any kind of violent act is ever to blame. Right. That's never the case. But there are groups um, in my own community. There's a group I want to give a plug to called Help Save the Next Girl. And they work really hard to try to let young women know things they um, can be aware of, um, things they, you know, it kind of it, it's basically starts those kinds of conversations for young women to kind of make them more aware of. Uh, what's out there as far as potential threats and again it's not like there's this easy thing they can do to to stop that but at the same time maybe being more aware of it could help them avoid something maybe maybe not you know again it's not it's not their fault but um i i think those are really positive groups and they also do things like when there is a a missing young woman they put out bulletins and, and kind of things on social media to try to kind of get the whole community to do what it can to, you know, to try to create a safer environment um, for, for young women. Again, I don't know that that's an easy answer. I don't think there is an easy answer, um, but it's, it's little steps, I think. And I think probably the first step is awareness. And that's a lot of the reason I feel so strongly about this book is I'm hoping it will raise awareness for young people about these issues. I have one last question for you, and it is, is there anything you'd like readers to take away from How She Died, How I Live? Anything you want the adults who read it to share with the young readers in their lives? Oh, that's a that's a beautiful question. <laughs> I love to think of books as bringing people together and, and ways to kind of share and again, I, I think maybe um, as far as a takeaway, I think, um, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be the idea that, you know, there, there's violence out there or something like that. I don't want to, you know, be a fear monger or something like that. It, for me, again, it's, it's more about this idea that bad things will happen in your life. You're not necessarily responsible for them. There's not necessarily a reason for them. But if you can find a way to keep living and to find the good in your life, you're going to be so much happier and you're going to have a better life for it. And I think that's kind of the journey that Kara goes through. And that's really, you know, so it may not be a violent act that a teen who reads this book is going through. It might be something else, something totally different. Maybe they're dealing with a, a, an entirely different issue. But if they can see this this young woman trying to find the good, trying to find something worth living for, and that 
if that could kind of bring to them the idea that I too can can find something worth living, you know, for that that I think that would be a happy day in my life. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow Mary Crockett on Twitter at, at Mary Loves Books, and you can always find us on Twitter at, at LB School. Give us a shout out, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Thank you.